0: Each week, I'll be sharing insightful and inspiring birth stories and advice in the hopes to help you create your own positive birth experience. I'm your host, Skye Marie. Let's get into today's show. Welcome back, everyone. On today's show, we hear the three contrasting birth experiences of mindset coach, podcaster and birth advocate, Ashley. Ashley went into her first pregnancy and birth handing over complete control to the healthcare professionals supporting her. She held projected shame over being plus size which left her feeling disempowered, alone and intimidated. Her first birth ended in a cesarean. Diving deeper into education for her second pregnancy gave her the tools she knew were necessary to advocate for the VBAC she desired but the constant fight to uphold her birth preferences wore her down, leading her to another cesarean feeling defeated and empty. During the three-year break she took before calling in her third baby, she immersed herself in the wisdom of birth leaders and worked on her past traumas. This significant growth and development helped her regain confidence and trust in herself to stand fully in her power. Finally, after two caesareans, a special scar and feeling like a failure, she free-birthed her 4.5kg baby at home. Enjoy the episode. Ashley, welcome to Positive Birth Australia. Thank you so much for being here today.
1: Hello, thanks for having me.
0: Could you just start off by telling the listeners a little bit about yourself?
1: Sure. So I live just north of the Gold Coast. I have three little ones. I've got a five and a half, seven and a half, and a 20-month daughters, who you might hear in the background here. Um, and I homeschool my little ones as well.
0: Amazing. Were all your pregnancies planned conceptions?
1: All of my three pregnancies were planned conceptions. I am a bit of a planner, and so I went to the doctor well in advance to see what I need to do in advance before I got pregnant. And it was all like I was researching all the things, but I was researching the wrong things. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, my doctor said the doctor, well, a doctor that I went to, he said, you know, the only thing is, you know, I would recommend you lose weight. I was quite high BMI and um, he said, you might have some problems falling pregnant and I said okay fine that's good to know but we want to fall pregnant in the next month or so so um you know I'm not going to be able to lose the amount of weight that was recommended to me okay, okay. yeah and so I had the implant on in so I got that removed and went through that process and I said to my husband because we were getting married we weren't married at the time we were getting married like the month later I said by the time you know it can take ages and there's a high risk of miscarriage because i In my workplace, one of the ladies had been trying and had multiple miscarriages and so I was really aware of those things and I said, you know, and if I get morning sickness, it won't kick in until like eight weeks, nine weeks and because he was really worried that I would get sick on the honeymoon sort of thing. So I had like had to talk through all those things that could happen and reassure my husband that, you know, now's the time to try because I was so impatient. Um, we just bought our house a few months before so we'd bought a brand new car we bought a house we were getting married and like all the things that I had on my checklist to do before um, having children were being done and it was just like full speed ahead it was just like so urgent to you know I want to have this baby that was the last sort of thing I had a you can hear her padding around a little Pomeranian dog who I treated like my baby. Mm-hmm. You know, and like my sister's got a, a dog now and no children. I see her the way that she that I was with my dog, and I'm like, oh my goodness, you need a baby. Yeah. <laughs> so I ended up falling pregnant um, within the month, and that was a real surprise. And you know, obviously, very welcomed. And I just couldn't wait till the baby was born. It was like, I'm very impatient person, and I was just like, okay, I just want the baby to be born now. <laughs> and um, I was really sick I had morning sickness but I had HD as well and I had that till about 20 weeks and you know I was just working throughout all that I ended up getting diagnosed at, um really early on with gestational diabetes okay. probably about maybe 12 weeks or something and where I worked I worked in Brisbane um, I worked in Brisbane and so When I got my diagnoses back, they said, you don't have gestational diabetes. But the hospital that I was going to was in the Logan District. And when I went to that hospital for my first appointment around whatever it was, 18 weeks or something, they said, so you've got gestational diabetes, so you'll be seeing obstetricians. And I was like, what? This is news to me. I don't have gestational diabetes. And I had a lot of shame and guilt around that being... Plus size, I knew that I was at higher risk. But I was weeks ago. I was really proud of myself for not having it. And the way that it was delivered was really like as if I was supposed to have known that. Um, and so there was a bit of back and forth. Like if you didn't have, if you were having your baby in Brisbane, you wouldn't have gestational diabetes. But because you're having it here in Logan, you have gestational diabetes. So that was kind of like the first little ticking time bomb in my head but I was a people pleaser um I wanted to do the best for my baby I didn't want anything to go wrong and I just wanted to you know be a good girl and do all the things and if I do what I'm told then everything will be fine Mm -hmm. my mum had me I was the first child as well and she had me in seven hours and she never made a fuss about birth so I just thought Like, the baby's just going to be born vaginally and there's nothing that can really stop that, you know. So with the whole GD thing, that was a really painful and annoying experience. There was a lot of shame involved in that. There was a lot of extra appointments. And um, it also meant that I was, what they had already said before they checked me that you'll end up on medication. They had already said it. And so they'd already told me the things that would happen. You're going to be induced at 38 weeks. These are the things that are going to happen. So I was kind of excited that I was going to meet my baby early, um, you know, an extra two weeks. That's exciting. And, um, I, you know, I think a couple of my friends were kind of, but why are you having that? You know, some of my friends who had had kids maybe 10 years before me where they didn't have any of those interventions or things. GD wasn't a thing back then inductions weren't a thing so they were kind of like what's going on and I was like I'm with doctors I'm getting the best care I'm going to listen to them you know that sort of mentality and I found the whole experience very clinical I never had a personal connection with anyone I would always ask like are we going to talk about the birth at the appointments and they were always like yeah next time we will and there was never a next time I remember asking one of the junior doctors is my baby engaged? And he just laughed at me like, ha, ha, what a stupid woman you are. And I was just like, oh, Mm. okay. And uh, it was just a really surreal, it was just the complete opposite experience to I know what can be and what now I advocate for. So we essentially went in for the induction. We didn't really know what was to be expected. We had a huge amount of paperwork to fill out. Uh, nobody kind of explained to me that inductions can fail or 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 the process or you know what kind of happens Um, we just kind of went for the ride and it was a couple of days of going through the induction process they put the gels in and they didn't work and then I ended up having to get the balloon catheter what is it the balloon hook or something put in And then that went in overnight. That was so excruciating. And so the process was winding me down, wearing me out. My husband had only taken off the week and we'd already used a couple of days from that. My in-laws were up at my house babysitting our dog and time was moving on and I was getting really like feeling like a failure. I was feeling really disheartened. I was tired. It was uncomfortable because you have to be – Um, monitored for long periods of time and my baby wasn't in the right position or um they weren't getting the right heart rates or whatever the problems were so I was being monitored for like three hours at a time and when you're monitored for that long excuse me you have to lay on your back and that's really uncomfortable when you're fully pregnant when you're full term Mm -hmm. so the whole experience was not great and um then I wake up in the morning after they'd put the balloon in and that was like the last straw for me kind of thing I had to help get my husband to help me wipe my bum because they had put a catheter not is it a cannula I always get the words mixed up they had a cannula in my hand
0: yeah
1: cannula yeah so I you know it was like just really and I had to like walk around with this thing hanging on a bag and oh it was just a really medical, and for you know, you never have medical experiences until you become a mum. Be, before, and so you go from living a perfectly healthy, normal life to you get all these tests, all these blood tests, all these urine tests, all these blood pressure thing, all these things. Like until this point, no one checks anything, yeah. and then you're pregnant, and they're like, "We got to find problems."
0: Yeah, so true. You know, it's like
1: <laughs> it is, and. It was actually a very daunting and scary experience through pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wake up in the morning and they said, okay, well, that didn't work. Um, and the junior doctor came in and she said to me, so what we're going to do is we're going we're to get you to come back on Monday to do the induction again, and but you need to come in tomorrow and we need to, to monitor you again tomorrow. And then you need to come in on Monday and we're going to start it all again. And I was like but it didn't work today why is it going to work in two days time and I was logistically thinking like my in-laws are here my husband's only got a certain amount of time off and I said can I just come back when I'm in labor like in two weeks and she said to me no you can't and I was like really I can't she said no and I said well she said look the other option is you can come in on Monday for a cesarean and I said no there's no way I'm doing that like there's no way I'm going to come in for a planned cesarean. I I said throughout my pregnancy I never wanted a cesarean, and I would never have enough courage to go to a planned cesarean. And, and she said, okay, well, let me go away and talk to. You. I'm going into a big doctor's meeting. We'll go talk. And they came back and she said, look, we've had a chat, and what we think sh- you should do is, we're gonna we've bumped all the surgeries, and you're going to go first. We think you should have a cesarean. And we're going to push, put you first. And I was like, okay, if they think I have to have a cesarean, you know, and I just, I didn't want to have one and I was really scared, but I guess there were things in the back of my mind, like that was a really painful experience. If you can't handle that, how are you going to handle having a vaginal birth? Oh my goodness. You're going to have to go through this again. If you don't have the cesarean. And I guess there were so many things going through my mind and I just said, okay, fine, we'll go with that then. And I had my sister with me at the time and she was pro cesarean. She's a surgery nurse and she was the whole pregnancy like don't have a vaginal birth. I see the horror like she was seeing all the horror stuff come through. Mm -hmm. And anyways, we went through and I remember thinking like I'm going to die. I have a photo of myself with my sister. She's so excited getting me ready for surgery because that's what she does for a job she just finished her shift and she weaseled her way into theater because she works there and new oh. people so I was like oh I have my sister and I have my husband and I just remember like being so frightened and when I got in there the anesthesiologist anathesi- the now said you're like a deer in headlights and I was like that's because this is really scary like I didn't say it, but I was just like frozen. It was such, you're in this like crazy cold room with this big lights and this man that has to hold you while someone's going to be putting a big needle on your back and then you're going to be cut open. And it was not, I had never, ever, ever thought about that as an option for me because nobody in my family had ever had caesareans And I didn't ever believe that I would ever need one. Why would I? Because I'd never had evidence from anyone around me that that was even a thing. There was a lot to process there. My baby was born. Yeah, I was shaking from the drugs. I was really exhausted and tuck it out. And I just had nothing left in me. I was so excited to have my baby the whole time. And when she was born, There was disconnection, there was no connection, and I said, can I just go to sleep now? I didn't care about anything because, I mean, I'd never had drugs before either on that level except for Panadol. And when I got back to the room, like we went through recovery and all that sort of thing, and she came back with me. Um, But when we got back to the room, I started vomiting and uh, it was just a really uncomfortable experience, I didn't sleep much at all that night and my husband wasn't allowed to stay with me in that hospital. So when he came the next morning, I was a, I was a nervous wreck. I was, we had our first fight as parents and I was, I was like, oh my goodness, is our lives over now because we've got this child and we're fighting and I'm stressed. And I just, it was, it was just a lot for me to, to take on. Yeah,
0: I bet. Mm -hmm. So after that experience, what was the birth plan for your second baby?
1: So, with that one, I decided to um, – I was going to have a VBAC yep. and so I waited exactly 24 months between the two because that was the recommended time frame. Mm-hmm. So, I, as a good girl, I'm going to do all the good things. I'm going to research all the things. So, I'm doing 24 months and that way I can have a VBAC because that's the only thing that I knew that they would say no for. Mm-hmm. And so, I went back to the same hospital and, And I was on the VBAC Australia support group and I had learned a lot of things and I um, was kind of armed with a bit more knowledge and some of the things that I wanted. And I was a little bit apprehensive, I suppose, and I had different views on some of the things this time around. And I went in educated and advocated for myself and I was kind of seeking their approval for everything. And I see this a lot in the in the group now you know I'm gonna give my birth plan to the the doctor and see if they, they sign off it and I'm like no <laughs> no it doesn't matter what they think um so I was seeking their approval you know just see me see me as an educated person you know trust me believe in me and what I got back from them was you don't fit in our boxes of what we feel is a uh, a situation that we would like A woman to have a vaginal birth. So we're going to force you into the path that we want you to be in. So I had many, many, many conversations with them. I had the head midwife um, come into appointments with me. I had a student doula. I had a student midwife. I thought having all these things would really help me to have the best sort of Support because they just weren't hearing me every time I went to an appointment. The first thing they said was, So you're having a C section? and I'd say, No, if you read the book, you'll see I'm having a V back. They'd say, Do you know the risks? and I would say, Here's all the risks, and they'd say, Oh, you know everything, and I'd say, Yes. And then it was just, it was always anxiety driven, it was always fear based. I was crying on the way to hospital, it was just, there were many, many conversations. It was, you know v is the safe option but it's not great for you we don't recommend it for you and so i'd listen to spiels about how you know v-back was great and then they'd go but not for you and that would just mm. my heart would sink and i'd be like why i had one doctor say to me look i'm not a fattest because i'm a big person as well but and i was <laughs> like you are a fattest yeah, like, wow. you don't say things like that and I had um transferred to another obstetrician who was the friendliest person you know he was going to be like the safe obstetrician it was all the same stuff and I said to him look I'll sign the waiver you know just let me have a vaginal birth without induction and all these sorts of things and he's like look your signature's not worth the paper it's written on and I was like So we ended up working out, like I had so many interesting conversations and I was really shocked, but at the same time it gave me some really good insight into how they deem certain things and how they work. And so it was becoming more and more apparent to me that they were more about the technology and they were more about the things that I didn't believe in, that the evidence didn't support. And when I brought these things to their attention and my concerns, like, if I'm going to have continuous monitoring, how do I know that I'm not going to get a surgeon who's working on the day who reads it differently to another surgeon who would deem that normal and acceptable but somebody else a little bit more nervous and would just say, oh, let's go to surgery for that. Yeah, so true. Because that's what happens. Mm. The biggest issue they had with me, I had GD again, but this time it was diet controlled because of my size, if there was an emergency, they wouldn't have a senior obstetrician working on the day um, if it was night time. And so they would really want me to be managed so that they could have someone who was uh, qualified or experienced enough to be able to do surgery. And I thought, well, that's fabulous. We know that missing piece of information now. And the other thing they wanted was growth scans. And I said, I'm not doing growth scans because – there's no point in me having a growth scan. I know my baby's going to be about four kilos and I'm more than happy to birth a 4.5 kilo baby. So that's, we're going to roll with that. And at 37 weeks, I got a phone call from them and they said, um, yeah, we're not, we're not happy to accept you, your risk and you need to find a new hospital now. And I guess they, um, cause I have watched a few obstetrician like workshops and things in their mind, It's construed differently, like they're trying to get the message across about the risks Mm -hmm. but they don't understand what informed consent is and they don't know how to kind of deliver, they're they're overstepping their boundaries. Mm. So I had a choice and I chose um, Gold Coast Hospital and it was a much nicer hospital. It was brand new. They were much more respectful of my choices. They wanted to do all the same things. And, you know, they ended up saying, look, yeah, you are right. We shouldn't induce you because, you know, these studies that we were going off and all that, they're not really in regards to you because you've never had any, uh, a labour or anything like that. And um, <clears throat> I ended up going through and having a spontaneous labour and I was so excited and proud of myself when I went into labour. And I was like, yes, my body's doing it. And I was a little bit worried that it wouldn't do it for whatever reason because they couldn't induce me. So I was kind of – and they'd put a lot of fear in my um, my ability. Being a bigger woman, it's harder for you to have a baby. Uh, it's harder for you to give birth. It's harder for you to – you know, they'd said all these things about me. And so there was a lot of those mindset wobbles like maybe I am different maybe because I'm bigger maybe I can't do this and I never had the proof about myself and they'd made me disbelieve myself but I always had that belief in myself too so it was like a champion inside me and a little scared girl inside me <laughs> kind of duking it out so I was really I was really excited when I went into labor and it basically I did um have a stretch and sweep a couple days before my student midwife who came with me, she um, she came with me, but she was no longer getting signed off. So there was a lot of anxiety on, on having to move around teams and I was unsure if my support was going to stay with me. And um, at the 39 appointment, 39 plus something appointment, she said to me, I've booked a, um, a cruise on your due date, so you need to have this baby before I go away on my – and I was like, are you for real? I was like – You've been with me to all these appointments and you've been saying all this stuff and now you're just like them because it suits you because mm. I can't sign off your book. Oh, what a bummer. Um, I, I don't regret doing the stretch and sweep. I ended up going into labour a couple of days later, but, you know, I just don't believe that you need to do them. I just think they're, they only work X amount of time. I just don't know why they bother with them. They're just a waste of time. There's more risk involved than just allowing, you know. But she said I'm two centimetres and stretchy. So that was, like, really positive. So I had that confidence and, you know, went cramping and I had a bloody show. Um, And then one night I was up all night and I went to sleep about 4 o'clock and I had period pains but I didn't think anything of it. And I woke up at 6 o'clock and I was in labour with more crampy and with the – um with the bloody show and I sent a picture to my friend. She's like, you're in labour. And I was like, am I? Am I? (laughs) And I was just like the adrenaline shock and I was like shaking and I was like, oh, my goodness. And then uh, half an hour later, the labour really started and it was coming fast and hard. And I was always like, I'm going to stay home till I'm about ready to have this baby. And then I was like, we're going to the hospital now. (laughs) (laughs) I was like call my dad, we're dropping off the toddler, <laughs> we're going, <laughs> call the hospital. They're like, okay, well, you know, just call us back when things start happening. And I was like, call them back. I, don't, I just freaked out. And I was like, I've got to get to safety. You know, in my mind I'm like, I've got to get to safety. But um, we got down there a few hours later and by the time I was there I was five centimetres and I was so proud of myself. The, the journey down was excruciating because, It wasn't fun being in the car and contractions stopped. And I was like, I had done a course through my pregnancy too. So I knew some of the things and I was like, this is normal. This is normal. It's going to pick up. And I remember like, I remember getting to the hospital and seeing a couple sitting outside that were coming in for an induction. I was like, that's right. I'm in spontaneous labor. (laughs) I I felt so proud of myself. Yeah, I was so proud of myself because nobody believed in me, you know, except for my birth team my doula and um, my husband and I was so proud of how I was handling it because I had worked it up to be so much bigger in my head and I wasn't sure if I could handle it. you go advocating for this thing and then what if you can't handle it? What if you can't handle the pain? What if it's too big for you, you know, and then you've made the wrong decision? Yeah, I've already had a cesarean and it went easy. It You know, it wasn't a big deal at the end of the day but – I fought an advocated for this and what if it's not, you know? Yeah. So I was like, we got into the suite and, oh, we got into the, you know, they they check you for an hour and they make you wee and they make you whatever they do and they were, well, you're five centimetres. So they were surprised, the lady was surprised where I was, I think maybe because I was coping so well and, um, We got into the suite and my doula arrived and, you know, she beautified my room with all my affirmations and music and diffuser and all that sort of thing and the midwife came in and I just found a little home in the shower with the lights off and was doing my thing and they wanted to bring in the doctors and I said, no, I don't want them coming in. And when I did finally say it was okay for them to come in, the doctor, you know, straight away wanted to put a, Cannula in my arm, just in case. And I said, No, I don't want it. Like, I already told you because I'd seen her through the pregnancy. I already told you I don't want this. And she was like, Come on, you know, just in case, you know. And I said, Fine, just whatever, just leave me alone. Like, I'm in labor. And she's convincing me to do something that I don't want to do while I'm in the middle of labor, which is just disrespectful. And, you know, what's the point in having a birth plan if you're not going to listen to it? which is why now when I talk about birth plans, I, you know, birth plans are a really great thing to do but they're for research and understanding for yourself but you have to advocate. And so I've, I should have said no and I should have said do not ask me and leave the room but I didn't have the strength, I didn't have the skill set and um, I learned a lot from that experience mm. and I got the cannula in and that wasn't. That wasn't a great experience. It was painful, and you know, disrupted the birth. And and then I went back into the shower, and then I was like, oh, this. I feel like the waters are broken. It's. I can feel this slimy, sticky thing. And I said to the midwife, she said, oh, do you want me to check you? And I'll see. And I said, okay. And then she checked me, and at this point like I had a really deep trust and faith and belief in midwives because I'd heard if you birth with a midwife, you're going to be safe and they're all woman centered and they're all about vaginal birth and all this sort of thing. And what I didn't realize at the time was that there's a difference between a hospital midwife and a private independent midwife that you have continuity of care with, who knows you, likes you, you know, you're her client. And so I, I, had put all my trust and faith. If I just get to a midwife, I'm going to be fine. So I felt really safe with this midwife. And she said to me, your waters have gone, but there's like a little hind bag." And I said, she said, do you want me to break it? And I said, oh, okay, I guess if it's already broken. And so she broke it and it was all my waters, basically. None of my... Um, I'd only had a little small leak, and so it was like a tsunami washing over the bed. I was like, whoa, and I didn't really think much of it until later on, Um, but then she put the the clip on the baby's head, the screw, and basically we had our first D cell, and the doctors rushed in, and that was – oh, you know, because she didn't recover quick enough um, for their liking that, you know, they come in and then that was like, oh, we recommend you have a C-section. And I said, no, don't talk to me about cesarean. Why are you talking to me about this? Like, don't talk about it. And um, off they went and they said, you know, whatever their recommendations were. And And she said to me, I'm 10 centimetres one side and I'm 8 centimetres the other side with a cervical lip, baby's end They were talking to me in all the lingo and I was like, I don't understand because all I knew at that point was I've got to get to 10 centimetres and then the baby comes out. Mm -hmm. I had spent so much time researching spontaneous labour and to get myself to that point that i would not researched the actual birth stuff really. And um, so... I was, they're like, your baby's up high, your baby's not in a great position, your baby's head's basically this way and it needs to be shaped this way and la, 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 la. And I was like, so the baby will just come out right, when, like when it's ready. And they're like, looking at me like they didn't believe the baby's going to come out. And they just kept saying, if you have surgery now, there's less chance in surgery that your uterus will be ripped. And I was like, okay. But can't the, like, why can't the baby just come out my vagina? Like, yeah. I didn't understand what, like, I didn't understand the conversation we were having. And so then they went away and then there was another cell, however long it was. In between that time, with all the disruption and everything like that, and when the waters got broken, it was just excruciating from that point onwards, I just said straight away to my husband, I called him in, not my doula, because she would have been like, tried to talk me out of it I said I knew he was the weak link I said I want I want the epidural (laughs) and I knew they would get it in there because they had recommended that I get the epidural on arrival that's how they that's how they treat bigger women they want you to get the epidural as soon as you arrive in hospital okay and I had the epidural in there within 10 minutes and, you know, it was an excruciating weight and it was excruciating getting it, having to sit there and put it in. And, uh, as soon as the epidural was there, then it was fine. I didn't have any pain and I was just sitting on the bed. I could relax. I could talk to my team and, but then I was trapped. I was trapped on the bed. I was not able to get into position. I wasn't able to do anything with a malpositioned baby. And, um,
0: What's a malpositioned baby?
1: So she was ROT position and so she was posterior, a type oh. of a variation. Yeah, of okay. yeah, it was just the same conversation over and over again and they did uh, a vaginal examination every hour and I think I had another D cell or two and then, you know, it was six hours and I'd been listening to the same things oh. over and over about my risks and the fact that they didn't believe that I was going to have this baby. I was just dumbfounded that. Won't the baby just come out of, and everything will just, you know? Yeah. And um, I ended up saying, okay, we'll just go to surgery then. We'll just, we'll just finally, when they had the last E cell, um, I was really worried about her. You know, it's a bit panicky when they rush in and they say all these things. And there's not just one doctor; it's usually like it was like three of them. But I went in for the surgery and baby was born and it was a good experience in the the sense that they had like a video camera so I could see the baby when they took her out and you know the anesthesiologist nurse was really lovely had music and there was a few little nice touches that made it feel a little bit more personal um and as soon as she was born basically things started getting serious and my, my husband and baby were rushed out of the room and then the I knew there was something serious and they started calling other people in and essentially what had happened was the thing that they said the tearing um, that could happen happened okay. and so this thing that they'd been warning me about the whole time because they know when a baby gets down the pelvis a certain amount down the pelvis um, there's a risk and I found it later on when I was doing my research that there's a risk that there will be a tear down to the cervix mm-hmm. Um, they said to me that the baby's arm flung out as a reflex as she was being born, which is a very possible thing that could have happened. And um, so when she was being born, her arm flung out and tore my uterus Mm -hmm. is what they said. I don't know if I believe that, but that's a risk of cesarean birth. Um, And so then the doctor who was working didn't have the skill set or maybe they needed two of them, but they had to call in a more senior doctor to come and um, repair that uterus tear down to my cervix. So uh, I was in there for about four hours and uh, it was a really horrifying experience being awake and privy to all of what was happening. And I just wanted to claw out of my body and I just remember feeling like I just want to escape this body. You know, I just want to get out of here. Mm. Finally got out about midnight and then got reunited with my husband who'd been left in a room with the baby for hours. You know, they did come to try to give a formula and he said, you know, my wife's breastfeeding. And by the time it was time for us to leave, I said to the midwife the night before, I wasn't ready to go. I didn't feel well enough to go. And um, eventually what had happened was I got sent home and then my midwife saw me because they take you they make you go to the midwife, uh, the, not the midwife, the GP, a couple of days later. And then I, she said to me, oh, you you look terrible. You need to go back through to emergency. And then I had to go back to the hospital and I had to go get another blood transfusion. And I was completely traumatised after after that experience. I was physically traumatised from the physical aspect of the labour. Mm. or oh, not the labour, the, the surgery. And I was... Um, Traumatized from the lack of support and and not being seen, not being heard, not being supported, um, and you know that just went on for a couple of years, where I spent a lot of time researching and looking into everything I possibly could and learning because the surgeon the surgeon said to me, "Promise me you'll never ever have a labour again. You're never to labour on this scar, but you can have two more um, surgeries." Oh wow. And I was like, well, that's a good thing because normally they only recommend three in total and you're saying I can have four babies. <laughs> and I was like, so he must be pretty confident what, with what he's done. And so that gave me a little bit of confidence too. Um, but I, was, I think I was really traumatised too from the fact that I could never have a vaginal birth. Yeah. But then I started joining groups and I started seeing other women. And I was like, hey, I cared. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So how long did it take you to feel ready to go back for baby number three after that experience?
1: Well, I was never sure I was going to have another baby after that and we'd planned for four. But it essentially took me three years to feel confident and safe to go back for baby number three and I had to work through how I was going to have that next baby and I decided on a home birth and I had – Decided on a free birth <clears throat> because I knew I had no options for a midwife. So I'd interviewed midwives and I'd spoken to midwives, and I knew my options were slim pickings yeah. <laughs> because of my size, because of my special scar as well, and my two caesareans. I couldn't find a midwife really. And also, I'd looked into free birth, so I was very aware of how they uh, midwives can look at VBAC women. And I was also, um, you know, unsure whether I could trust the care provider again after what I'd been through. There was a lack of trust um, and, yeah, that was, I mean, I wanted to have a midwife but I couldn't find one anyway. So, yes, we chose free birth and um, we went along with basically down that route. Yeah.
0: So take us through the process to get to that place of deep trust and having the confidence to take control and responsibility of your birth, especially coming from... You know the past two experiences that were filled with so much fear and distrust. What were some of the things you did to prepare for it?
1: So I basically I did a few birth debriefs, one with an obstetrician, one with a midwife. I did birth trauma therapy, um, healing sessions. I did talk therapy. I was I trained as a postpartum doula myself mm-hmm. I started working with women in the space I um, started meeting other doulas and connecting with other doulas and you know I was a strong advocate in this space and I started reading all the books listening to all the podcasts I did courses I was part of memberships I really threw a lot of things into it and it was for professional development and personal development. And I got a lot of healing through helping other women and warning other women about things. I didn't want anyone else to experience what I had experienced. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to get my message out there and share my story and, and also help other women, you know, with breastfeeding, because I'd had a challenging experience, um, I got onto the Free Birth Society podcast and I did their membership and I did their course and, you know, they had a Facebook group back in the day too before they removed themselves and it was just really helpful to see that as an option but it wasn't something that I was willing to do and it took me over a year to really say, okay, I'll do that. And it was more my husband that was kind of like, yeah, why not? Like, I think you should just do that. Amazing. And I was like, but I've never had a vaginal birth. Like, how can you believe in me? And he's like, Well, you're just born to like do that. So yeah, simple. I was like, it was so nice yeah. that he believed in me, even though there was, you know, no evidence to show that I could. Mm-hmm. But then there was a lot of evidence to show. I mean, I went and saw um, Dr. Sarah Buckley at a conference she was doing a birth talk down the Gold Coast and I, I went to the Jeweller Network Conference in Sydney and took my whole family down there and Dr Rachel Reed was speaking at that, was one of the guest speakers at that one. And so I was meeting a lot of birth leaders who had the knowledge, the wisdom, they had PhDs or they had doctorates and they really knew the information and they talked a lot of sense and I read their books and I listened to them and they really convinced me that free birth was the best and safest way. Dr. Dr. Sarah Buckley, she talks about undisturbed birth. She talks about her own free births. I thought if a doctor can do it then, yeah, that's like a big sign to me. I met her in person and she was the most beautiful white light. I met her husband. It was a beautiful experience. I met Dr. Rachel Reed, and I grabbed her after she'd spoken. And they just spoke so much wisdom. And throughout my pregnancy, I decided to create my own podcast and I started the VBAC Home best Stories podcast because I had listened to all the VBAC stories but they weren't necessarily I didn't want to hear about women having hospital births because that wasn't relatable to me I wanted to hear women who were plus size who were having home births who were having free births who had had special scars who you know were like me and so I started my podcast for selfish reasons Mm -hmm. so I can hear women's amazing stories Mm -hmm. and get in touch with women who had done it and I was like absorbing their positive stories and getting to listen to their stories and I was interviewing you know Dr Rachel Reed and Sarah Buckley on my podcast and so I got to ask them all the questions that I wanted to know for my own self but also for other women and that really helped me and spurred me on and then we decided to conceive our baby and the the experience was a much like a much more positive a much easier experience it was filled with my doula friends and it was all about celebrating and you know all positive vibes I protected my energy I didn't tell my family about what was happening I only told people who I trusted and invited them into the space and we celebrated with a mother blessing throughout my pregnancy and I had friends who were looking after me, coming to prepare meals with me. And I'd learned all these skills from being a postpartum doula myself this time to ask people to help, to accept people's help, to create these things and support networks. So I'd done a lot of that preparing throughout and I was teaching my clients to do this. I couldn't exactly not do it myself. So it was really hard, but... And I say this to my clients, like it's a really hard thing to do, but it's what's necessary to do. It's what's really important to set yourself up. And they're like life skills that you carry on with you throughout motherhood and for the rest of your life. And so I had a freezer full of food. I had my girlfriends supporting me, checking in on me, understanding me, um, loving me, believing in me. I hired a doula. I hired um, a postpartum doula for afterwards who really supported me through pregnancy who's a dear friend of mine. And it was just a wonderful experience. There were still fears that came up because I'm doing this crazy thing. It was really underground and, like, really naughty. And I was trying to get some um, support from my midwives who were local to me to get some medical support throughout my pregnancy And they wouldn't take me on. They were like, "Oh, I'm worried about my insurance. I've spoken to my insurance provider, and they've said no." So there's a real disconnect from women who want to access their own care on their terms, and what care providers are willing to do or will do. And so I couldn't find the care that I wanted. I wanted really holistic care, um, you know, maybe just a scan here and maybe a test here, but mid. Wives wanted to, if they were going to take me on, it was going to be like one midwife was willing to, but she was on the north side of Brisbane. And then it was going to be the full uh, nine months worth of care. And it would have ended up costing like $2,000. And I was kind of like, Ur. and then you can't go to a doctor and say, hey, I'm having a free bath. I just want my test done. <laughs> but it was through COVID times. So I was really lucky and I called and I was able to do over-the-phone appointments and I was like, oh, I just want to get a scan and, you know, he he, he allowed me to get scans and things and he was all, you've got to do this. And I was like, well, actually, no, I don't have to do that. And he's like, oh, okay. Like he didn't know that you, you didn't have to. And I just I just lied to him a little bit. I just said, oh, I've got a midwife and, you know, I'm going to have a midwife. But I never said anything about home birth or anything. I just said, I've got a midwife so, you know, you don't need to refer me onto the hospital or anything. She's taking care of that but I do need you to do these things for me because she can't do those things. And he was a no-questions kind of guy and I just got what I wanted and, you know, it was great. Yeah. <laughs> and, um i was it was a very another you know all my pregnancies i get h d um I was testing myself for g d but at this at this time i'd had g d twice now, and to be honest with you, I didn't really believe in g d at this at this point. I was still checking to see and I still had higher levels than normal, but I came to the realization that I didn't personally believe in it. there was some information out there, and there's a really good podcast on this that dr rachel reed has on the midwives cauldron podcast as an episode on gestational diabetes that it's not really a thing um so i had already come to that conclusion but i never told anyone because it's like it was a bit taboo didn't want to be like this crazy lady like um so my second daughter wasn't really diet controlled i lied on the paperwork to the doctors and so throughout that, there was a lot of anxiety for me, like, oh, my God, what if I'm doing something wrong? What if she comes out and she's huge or, you know, all these things? So I did do a lot of research into gestational diabetes. What the, what were they worried about? What were the issues? And so I made sure that, you know, those things were checked. And that really it was more so if the baby was going to have a big tummy and that sort of thing. And both my babies came out fine. Um, so I figured – Clearly it's not an issue. These are just how I birth my babies. This is how big they get. Um, And I came to that realisation. So I managed myself throughout my pregnancy with my free birth and um, I had been seeing the doctor when I wanted to and getting the care that I needed to. My doula was also doing some homeopathy stuff for me too, which was great. And I went into spontaneous labour around 38 weeks, which was Like they couldn't pry open my cervix with my first. And here I am going into spontaneous labor with my third at 38 weeks. That's incredible. I know. And I was just, I was talking to her. She was a conscious conception in the fact that she was a spirit baby And I had felt her presence and I had welcomed her in. So it was a very different experience because I'd learned all these other things. And when my husband and I were making love, like afterwards, I would say, you're welcome to come in and join us now. Like, you're welcome to join me. And so I was really connected with this pregnancy and I was talking to her all the time. And I, I did that with all my babies anyways. But I was always saying to her at the end, like, as soon as I got my birth pool, I was like, you're, you can come now. Like you're safe. Like after 36 weeks, I was like, you're safe to come. Mummy's ready for you. Mummy's had enough. Mummy's in a lot of pain. <laughs> come whenever you want, darling, but I don't want to rush you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but come. <laughs> and I, I called her starlight and I just had this, like, she was this bright white light of energy from the universe that was just a beautiful, intuitive Wonderful, clever person that I knew because she she came a month before I fell pregnant, a month before COVID happened in Australia, and so if I had conceived her later on, I don't know if I would have still made that choice mm-hmm. with the whole COVID panic. So I just always felt like she knew she was going to be free birth. She knew all these things, and I trusted and believed that we were doing this together and my waters broke at uh, 38 weeks. That was the first waters break experience naturally by themselves and it was all over my bed and I'd never expected that to happen. Didn't have any sheets or anything and I was like pop and I heard it and I felt it and I jumped out of bed and I was like yelling down the hallway because my husband was on the couch, come in, Royce, come, you know, water's broken and he comes down and it's like, whoa, it's like water's everywhere on the floor. It's on. Mm-hmm. I was excited again but scared and, I, you know, the adrenaline straight away. I was, like, frightened but excited. All the hormones were flushing through my body. I called my daughter straight away and she's like, I think it was about 4 o'clock when this happened because my last one was 4 o'clock too when I went into labour for the first time. And four of four is my favourite number two. And I'm born on the fourth. So that's really weird, hey? Oh, there you yeah. go, yeah. And she said, okay, all right, we'll just go back to sleep and just have a rest, you know, because there was no contractions. And I said, okay. And I looked at my husband. I'm like, I'm not going back to bed. <laughs> I'm like, I'm too excited. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, I've got to get into labour within the next 48 hours because I was already putting myself on a timer because I was programmed to believe certain things that were safe, la, 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 and I'd put, I just, you know, and I was like, oh, no, I've got to go into labour now. And then, anyway, so I was like I'm a to lay down and within within half an hour I was, labour had started. So I didn't have to stress, thankfully. I don't know what I would have had in me to wait. Now my beliefs after the women I've spoken to going into labour like 18 days after water's broken and things like that, my my whole view's changed, um, but yeah, straight into labour again, going fast and you know strong. And I said, call cool, the doula straight away. You know, I need her down here. I need that womanly support. And um, my, you know, my children got woken up and they were like in the bedroom, and I was in excruciating pain. And I think it's because the waters broke, so it was very different to my second baby, where I was coping well I was like I can handle labor you know it wasn't that bad I was in labor for 12 hours six unmedicated last time but this one was straight into it straight hard and I had my birth comb in my hand I had my music I was laying on my bed I was bouncing on the ball I was trying to sit on the toilet and I just couldn't get comfortable And my kids were my husband recorded Mummy's in labour. The kids were so excited. I could feel their energy. It's so cute on the video. They're, like, touching me, like, so sweetly, all the things that I've prepared them for. And all in my mind, I just want them to leave, I've Organized for them to get picked up. I just couldn't deal with the pain. I couldn't get comfortable. And my husband started organising because we hadn't organised anything. We'd done a run-through with the birth pool with the kids and mum was pretending to be in labour for muck around photos and uh so my husband knew what to do he knew how to set up the pool and get it all done and we'd already done the test run and so he did my affirmations and got everything a diffuser and everything going it was amazing and then I finally after about two hours got in that birth pool and I was like okay I'm gonna gotta calm down I was still panicking and um the the other doula because we had a I had a student doula too who was taking photographs Um, she came down too and I just remember looking at her thinking oh my god anyone who wants to have this is crazy like why didn't I just go in a hospital and have an epidural or have a c-section this is crazy (laughs) and I never said it out loud but I was just looking like panicked I was so panicked and I remember like trying to I was trying to ground trying to calm myself holding onto this birth comb holding my doula's hand looking at her saying is this normal and she's like yes it's normal, it's okay, you know, everything's okay. And then what happened was my kids had gone, the energy had calmed down, I was looking at my affirmations, I was deep breathing, I was listening to my music, I was using my brush, and then all of a sudden there was nothing. And I was like in heaven, like it was just like uh, everything just went away. Like I still had my contractions but they were manageable I just was alert and I was just aware and I was just coping and I was just breathing through and everything was happening the way that it needed to happen I had trust and faith and, and then I think every fourth contraction at that point I was starting to push. So every fourth contraction my body would push and I would like have to get on my hands and knees and lean over the birth pool. And my body would take over, and there was nothing I could do. But it was also pushing out poo, so it just felt like I was doing a big poo every time. My poor husband had to clean it up. He was like, "This is disgusting." He never, he didn't say it to me during. He was like, "Very good," and kept his mouth shut. But we always joke about it now. He's like, "It was gross," <laughs> and I'm like, "That was your job." <laughs> I was birthing the baby, and he's like, "I don't know," but it was still gross. <laughs> and. Um, But, yeah, don't ever worry about that sort of stuff because that's all natural. You know, what would you do? And um, and then that was really nice. It felt really good. And it it was so strong and powerful. It was like, you know when you get gastro cramps, it's like there's nothing you can do about it. Your body just does what it does and you're just there for the ride. You don't have any control. And that's what... I looked at birth as instinctive and spontaneous and physiological because that's what I'd learned from Dr. Rachel Reed and Sarah Buckley. And I was just allowing the situation to happen. And um, then I would lay on my back and get my husband in the pool and, you know, hold his hand and say, when's the baby going to be born? And, you know, then my leg went numb and I was Thinking, why is my leg numb? It's because I'm laying on it and I kept moving around and I became fixated on this numb leg, which took away any of the. I wasn't worried about the contractions then, I was just worried about this stupid numb leg. And that was the baby coming down, pushing on my nerve because I had a posterior baby again. And I, yeah, so my leg went numb and I didn't know it at the time though. And, um, that's why I also had early pushing as well, which is very normal in posterior baby in posterior labors. Mm-hmm. But in the hospital, they will count that as pushing, and that's why some women will say, "Oh, I was pushing for two hours," and then they said, "You know, I'm, you know, I have to go to surgery now." And it's because they're counting the wrong sort of pushing. What had happened was my because I um, I dilate so quickly. So I dilated really quickly, and I think that's what that transition – I was in, you know, transition at the start. Panic, fear, can't do this. Oh, my God, this is excruciating. My cervix opens right up, and then it's focusing on pushing the baby down. Once the cervix opens up, it then focuses on pushing down. So my rest of the labor, which was probably about 11 hours' worth or 10 hours' worth, was about – pushing the baby and turning the baby because the baby was up high and the baby had to have a big journey to come down with no waters, which is harder than if they're in the waters. And um, that was my body doing all of that marathon work essentially. And there were big gaps in between my contractions, but I didn't notice them, but the doulas noticed them. And that was to allow my body to have the breaks it needed. Um, It was, you know, there wasn't a certain pattern to it. It was just doing whatever needed to be done. And it was very calm. Everyone in the space was very calm and relaxed. And eventually I said to my husband, I feel like there's something up there. I feel like, can you just put your fingers in and feel? And he's like, okay. I was like, come on. just." And he, he put his fingers up there and he goes, oh, it feels like a kiwi fruit. And I said, Hmm. Okay, and then I said to him, and he goes, oh, it could be a muscle. And I said, oh, God, I've got pelvic prolapse, you know. Uh, I said, oh, whatever. I'm not going to worry about that now. We'll just, whatever. You know, it's the least of my problems right now. We'll just see what happens. The doulas, um went outside and allowed us to have some private time and hubby and I, because I'd watch uh, orgasmic birth. We were a bit intimate um, with each other for a little bit. Uh, to try because there was a little bit of concern that I hadn't been able to wee the whole time. And I thought, well, if we have a bit of clitoris stimulation, maybe I'll be able to do a wee. And I just didn't have the urge. But because the doulas kept asking me about it, I thought I had this fixation on it. I've got to do a wee. I've got to do a wee. I've got to do a wee. Have you done a wee? Have you done a wee? You know, and I was like, oh, God, we'll try this and see if that will help. And uh, I found out later that actually I couldn't do a wee because I'd been sitting in the birth Tub the whole time, and I was dehydrating in the birth tub because it was warm, it was summer, it was like November, and also because my body's working really hard, I'm sweating profusely. But you don't know because you're in the tub. I was drinking stuff, but I just wasn't drinking enough to make you know it was all being sweated out. Um, so a little bit while a little bit after that, basically, I realized, yeah, the baby's here. I felt this big push before where I felt like I was doing the biggest poo in the world. It felt like a big poo, as big as a baby's head (laughs) because it was a baby's head (laughs) and it was coming right down the back of my tailbone. I could feel it and I was pushing, pushing. I was like, oh, my God, this is a big poo coming. And uh, and then, you know, it – Baby must have came right in, and that's when I probably asked hubby to check and that, and I still hadn't clued on that that's the baby. Um, but then I felt the baby right close, and I said, "Oh, the baby's right here now." And the doula's heard, and they came in, and there was a lot of in and out, in and out, stretching, and I knew that that was normal, and I just allowed that process, and I was like, "Don't get impatient, don't push." Maybe I will because I knew I didn't – my biggest thing was I don't want to tear. And um, eventually I did help with the pushing process and um, her head popped out and then her shoulders popped out and then um, my doula said to my hubby, "Um, don't touch the baby, you know, move away from the baby. And I was like panicked at that point, like what's happening, is this – you know, I know when they have um, breech babies, you're not supposed to touch them because they could take a breath. And I'm thinking in my head, but I'm trying to, I'm analyzing. I'm in my, out of my reptile brain and I'm analyzing now and I'm freaking out. And then my contractions stopped because my birth at that point had been disturbed. And that's how subtle it can be. And everyone's different. You could say that to another woman and mm. it wouldn't matter, you know, because she's a different person. But for someone like me who's quite in, um, empathic like that that was a big disruptor hormone disruptor for me because the adrenaline just spiked in my um blood which the fight and flights you know it naturally spikes in my uh, you know with all the anxious stuff and all that sort of stuff happening i'm quite receptive to any issues and i'm like going to be jumping in a bit quicker than maybe someone who's a bit more relaxed personality Mm -hmm as well so if you're a chill person it might not affect you as much which is good (laughs) but if you're a type a personality like me you're onto it and um and then it was um the baby was stuck at that point then through her belly and so i'm i said okay i'm just gonna push i'm gonna push and i started pushing and i was it was it was in within minutes the baby was born she popped out and everything was fine she was born hubby grabbed her and I reached down and touched her to see what she was and I said oh it's a girl I was right like I knew I expected because of all the symptoms the morning sickness and all that Mm -hmm. and um yeah put her on my chest and I was just so happy and just then my doula came round again and she's like oh I'm a little bit worried about her breathing and I would recommend me call an ambulance and I said okay fine you know I take your I trust you because mm-hmm. that's what I'd hired her for. Um, if I could go back again, I would have made a dis- different decision. But I had hired her to tell me, yeah. so I trusted her for that um, thing. And she did have a bit of labored breathing, and I'm glad that we did call the ambulance because you can't go back and change it, can we? So we don't know what the what out- well, we don't know what would have happened. So there's no point dwelling on the past. It yeah. Is what it is. And then he basically, the doula said, like, just cut the umbilical cord and then, you know, so the ambulance can look at her. And as soon as we did that um, and held her upright, she just started screaming and getting all the gunk and stuff off her chest. Mm-hmm. And she had a huge little scream. And mm-hmm. um, so they said, you know, he said, she's fine. She's healthy. And he was happy with her to stay home and all that sort of stuff. But then during that time with more disruption and more worry and anxiety about the baby and all that, my contractions hadn't started and my placenta and there was a lot of blood in the pool at that time. Um, So then there was, you know, my doula was worried about me and so she was getting me out of the the birthing pool and getting me on the couch and then it was we're going to call another ambulance to check over you now. Um, I ended up getting transferred to hospital because of their protocol they needed to have blood before they transferred me to hospital so i had i ended up having quite a lot of ambulances come and that was a two-hour process and in between you know I'm breastfeeding baby but you know I knew that I was safe because I was with them I trusted them I knew that everything would be okay and so at that as well I wasn't panicked or worried I was just i'm safe now everything's fine like I knew I was in fine i was gonna be fine Mm -hmm. so i was never worried and we eventually went to hospital baby got put into special care unit because she'd been seen by the ambulance and a, a pediatrician came and said there's a little bit of labored breathing let's check her over she was perfectly fine um but from the the birth and everything there was a healing because i felt seen and heard and respected by the obstetricians they still behaved in the way that they want to behave in but they were respectful because they understood that I'd freed birth because of how I was treated previously and they wanted to mend that bridge they wanted me to feel safe to come into the hospital and so I started to see them in a different light and believe in Uh, started to really understand that this is a system, this is how they work, it's not personal, it feels personal, but it's not. And I felt healed in all aspects of my life from that experience, from childbirth, childhood trauma to the traumas of my experiences to feeling whole. I felt whole because when I had my cesareans. I didn't feel whole. When I had my vaginal birth, my body felt whole. I felt like a whole person. It's really – one of my clients said this. She just had a vaginal birth after two caesareans. And she said the same thing to me. I feel whole. I don't feel like there's something missing or I'm cut in half. Mm. And it was really surreal. I just kept saying people like, hey, you feel – I'm like, I feel whole. And I had no tearing at all. And I had a 4.5 kilo, 10-pound baby. Mm
0: it was chunker
1: (laughs) and yeah so I was just so proud of my body for doing everything that I knew that it could do and for doing all those things for safely birthing birthing our baby for being able to advocate and then obviously that led to a cascade of me finding my power and being able to homeschool my children because I'm not worried about what other people think is the right thing for them or their children or for my children because I'm the mother and I know what's best for my children. Yeah. And it's really powerful um, when you do things on your terms.
0: Yeah, I love that. So to wrap up the episode, what would be your key piece of advice for any expectant mothers out there?
1: To... Follow your heart, follow your intuition. Don't worry about what other people want your mother, you know, their fear, their concerns, their worries. Do your research, get the right support team around you that believe in you and trust in you and follow your dreams and seek out those people who will trust in you and believe in you and surround yourself with those like-minded people and just continue walking towards your dream and your path because you'll always find your way in no matter – in any aspect of life you know birth is just the beginning of women being born sometimes you know I feel like I was birthed as a new person when I had my children because I became a mother which I felt like a real woman then like I'm a real woman I've I'm an adult now you know I've had a child and then a new life unfolds and is birthed from that you know that 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 experience and then eventually everything is new to us having children having a five-year-old being having a 10-year-old having grandchildren they're all new experiences but if we always follow our heart and we do those things we'll always find our path
0: beautiful what a journey you've had thank you so much Ashley for coming on today and sharing it with us
1: thank you so much for having me appreciate it thank you
0: That brings us to the end of today's episode. Although we heard two traumatic experiences today, there's still a wealth of knowledge you can gain from those journeys. I guess the biggest take home from today's episode for me is that despite no one believing in Ashley, she innately knew that her body was capable of birthing her babies naturally. And even though she at times let other projected doubt creep in, she never really gave up on herself. Utilizing all the tools available to her to absorb as much knowledge as possible so that she could go on to have the birth that she needed to feel whole again she proved to herself and those that doubted her that birth works when in an environment that truly supports it if you feel inspired by ashley's journey today and want more stories like this you can find the link to her podcast and instagram details in the show notes thank you so much for listening i will see you all next week for another episode of positive birth australia